This is DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. What's up, podcast? Today I have Jason Parker on. He's a sheriff of Webster Parish. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm awesome. So, man, first of all, it's awesome to see you in office. You won the election. Um, we're here in North Louisiana, and um, for those of you who may not know who this guy is, he, you know, I know a bunch of people he knows, and you know he's from. Uh, he's now over a, basically a parish that I grew up in, um, out of Minden, Louisiana, and just want to get on and kind of talk about life and the actual industry of law enforcement and this past year, all the BS we went through, you know, and just you know get some positive vibes out there. And I appreciate the invitation to be here with you today, and, and look forward to. Uh, getting the message out for sure so tell me kind of how you got into this what you know growing up as a kid did you think you was going to be in law enforcement you know and kind of how you got to where you're at now well you know i was born in alexandria louisiana which is you know central louisiana and then uh, but i was raised in a small country town about 40 miles west of there uh metropolis of simpson louisiana okay and down in piney woods of burning parish and uh but, uh, you know, back then in Simpson, there's, I mean, it's a very small town population, probably around 548. Not compare the Simpson Bronco School kind of to what Glenbrook School is in Menden, but it was a public school. Yeah. Just very small community. And, uh, you know, growing up back then, my dad, you know, law enforcement or judicial side of, of things is all I've ever known. My dad started out as a as a cop, PD cop at for Leesville PD. Okay. And then my mom was a uh, court reporter for uh, the, uh, the judicial system there, the courthouse there in Leesville. And my brother's a state trooper. He's number two in, in command down in Alexandria Troop E. And my brother-in-law retired state trooper. I've got two nephews in the state police. So, I mean, that's all I've ever known. Gotcha. You know, my, D, my, my sister, she's been at the DA's office in Leesville for 30 years. So. That's kind of all I've ever known. Okay. And, uh, when I graduated high school in 1991, I went to work for the Vernon Parish Sheriff's Office. Sheriff Frankie Howard was the sheriff then, and, and uh, I knew immediately that's kind of what I wanted to do. You know? yeah. And I very I started off at the bottom. I mean, my first job at the Sheriff's Office was entering traffic tickets for the Sheriff's Secretary. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but while I was working part-time for the Sheriff's Office, I was pursuing a criminal justice degree at Northwestern State University okay. at the Fort Polk campus. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, but after entering some tickets for a little while, they, I did a little dispatch when they needed me, and then I moved up to the jail and uh, eventually started uh, supervising some inmates. We'd take them out and do some work and stuff in the fields and what have you. But in, uh, in 1992, I moved to the main campus at Northwestern in Natchitoches and uh, pledged Kappa Sigma fraternity. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back then it was very difficult, difficult to get on the state police. Uh, and you had to have 60 college credit hours to, really? to be able to take state police okay. tests. At the time, I had like 72, 76 yeah. hours. I said, well, man, I'm going to go ahead and take the test and just, you know, it'll take me a couple years to get on. I'll finish my education, criminal justice, and move on. And in December of 94, man, the state police called me, just surprised me, said, hey, you know, we're off in your position. We need to know. We've got academy starting in January 95. We need a yes or no. And I said, man, I'm in. You know, I'll finish my education later. Okay. So I started the uh, state police academy in January 1995, and it was a... Uh, it was a brutal 15 weeks, I'm telling you. <laughs> kind of a military type, you know, style academy. Right. And uh, I think we started off with uh, 120, maybe, that's just a guess. And I think okay. I graduated 80 something. So okay. it was. So they like, weeded out the week on that one. They weeded out the Yeah. Well, that's, and so from there, how long were you a state trooper? 24 years, right? And that's a long time. Yeah. And like I said, when I got hired with the state police and I graduated in uh, in May of 95, uh, they sent me up here to Shreveport, uh-huh. to Troop G, you okay. know, and because all my family was back around the Troop G right. area. Right. You know, the old country boy from Vernon Parish ain't never been north of Maggie. You know? <laughs> it was a little culture shock. Yeah, yeah, for sure, know, yeah. I'm up here, so uh, my first apartment, I lived in some apartments there. Um, uh, in Bossier City for a couple of years and you know eventually met my wife and she was from Halton area and we moved to Menden we started our family man I've got two beautiful girls Alicia's 23 she's in PA school in Shreveport okay. know, pursuing a degree over there and then my baby she's uh, 21 she's uh, got a year left in nursing school at Louisiana Tech so okay. uh, Christian and I have been together you know 24 years man it's been an awesome experience that's awesome yeah and so now, I mean, well, I have a lot of questions for all of yeah. that because so like, 
seeing what what is like seeing the actual law enforcement how it's evolved over time with technology and you know culture and being from a small town going to a large town and being a state trooper i mean i'm sure you've seen all kind of stuff what is what's the like the most moment like monumental thing that you've noticed you know throughout that as far as maybe life changing for you before you got into the position you're at now right you know it's it's constantly evolving you know yeah. the, the, the the police back in the 1990s you know when i first started uh, to now is you know it's a whole lot different and uh you know the situation that we've got going on today with the covid and all that kind of stuff you know we have to take special precautions and so forth to try to keep our keep us safe and the citizens safe at the right. same time right uh, but it, it's been an adjustment for me and uh, i tell you it's you know when i got hired with the state police and moved up here uh, I, I started out on patrol and I only did that for about the first four years. I just never was a big ticket rider. Okay. Very important part of policing. It just wasn't my cup of tea, you know, and it's, uh, I went into the criminal patrol and started working on the interstate, working criminal interdiction on I-20, which is, you know, main third, third, uh, third way for, you know, trafficking, you know, yeah. illegal narcotics and, and money and, and, um, you know, human trafficking and so forth. Or we've run into all kinds of stuff out there. And I was a canine officer out on the interstate. Uh, seen a large amount of narcotics at one time. And, and I think the largest uh, marijuana seizure we've seized out there was around 1,700 pounds, man. God. Well, I'm, and I've heard that, too, that they, they say that I-20 corridor basically is a, like a mecca for drug trafficking and distribution. Absolutely. You know, 20, 20 is bad because it's a direct, uh, direct shot to Atlanta. Right. And that's a, another hub over there. But uh, I-30 and I-40 and then I-10 down in South Louisiana yeah. is probably a little bit more significant. Really? Right. Okay. But I-20 is, uh, back in the day, it still is. I mean, they're still seizing a lot of narcotics out there on the interstate. So. Well, since we're on that subject, you know that <clears throat> recently they passed the, where they're in, going to Congress for marijuana being legal. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's going to change a lot of your guys' industry sure. if that happens. Right. And then they're also talking about letting go, letting people out of prison that have went to jail for those things. What, what's your like opinion on that? You know, marijuana back. It's we for 24 years. We see you know every time we made an arrest, we had a uh, to fill out a form like a personal history type form. And, you know, the very first question on the back page was, yeah. what was the first drug that you ever used? Yeah. Are you a drug user? Yes. Right. Was first, marijuana was 99.9%. So, you know, it may be a stepping stone for some folks. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm trying to judge folks. You know, right. It's, it's, it's a deal they deal. You know, as long as you're not out there uh, and selling narcotics or selling the weed to, you know, school kids and right. stuff like that, what you do, you know, it's against the law, but what you do at your right. own house is, is your own business. Right. Uh, you know, marijuana uh, in the judicial system, a lot of those are, you know, non-prosecutable cases. Or, right. Or they're just putting on diversion or what have you. It's kind of like a DWI or so forth. So, um, you know, it's times are changing and evolving. Yeah. The biggest problems we have out there right now as far as narcotics is meth methamphetamine. That's and, been a, and, uh, the opioids yeah, and heroin and stuff that, like that. That stuff right there, you know, I don't... How do you how do we regulate that? How do you control that? How is that something that we're going to be able to fix? Like I feel like it's just taken over. Right. Well, you know, up here in this area, specifically in the Shreveport area, we yeah. haven't seen a whole lot of heroin. And uh, my last seven years as a trooper, I was a state I was supervisor over a narcotics unit for DEA task force. So we, we work right here in Shreveport. Didn't see a whole lot of heroin. It's here. Right. I hadn't seen a whole lot of right. it. Uh, but once we started cracking down on the uh, the opioid problem, the pills, the hydrocodones and oxycots and stuff, that the prescription type medicine, yeah, yeah, we put the regulations on the doctors and pretty much you know tried to uh, control that. Then that's when we started seeing a little bit more of the the heroin in our area because once we take the pills away from the addicts that are required to have that gotcha. and they're going to revert to something else gotcha. you create you, you take care of one problem but you're creating right so it's constantly evolving i think that uh, we have to be you know give people a chance to go and get some help when they need it yeah and and i'm not i'm not type of person i mean if we if somebody's reaching out to me and say hey we need some help and that's what we're going to try to do yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, a lot of times people revert to those things because they may have had, a you know, uh, abusive childhood, sure. you know, or, you know, problems in a relationship or whatever it may be. And they jump on those things and they get tried as a criminal 
but it may be something that we can revert. And then there's those people that just use and abuse all the time and they're never going to be able to be helped. But I, I feel like a lot of people using any of those type of drugs is just an escape from the reality of what their problems are dealing with. You know what I mean? Well, you know, the, the narcotics addiction, they does not discriminate. Right. You nope. Know, don't care, you know, what, what neighborhood you come from, yep. what family background or what have you. Uh, over my years, and basically that's been my career as an narcotics field, uh, I've seen, you know, more lives devastated and families just torn apart by, uh, you know, tragic events that have, have taken place through the use of mainly, you know, hardcore drugs like cocaine and marijuana. I mean, methamphetamine and everything. Yeah. So. Those things are, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Well, I mean, not to get too dark on that subject, yeah. but going back to like, so you just recently you've been in office now five or six months. Yes. Um, I just want to talk about the adversity you face. Walk like, see, uh, basically, you're going into a um, sheriff's office. It's been under control of a previous sheriff for how how many years? Uh, Sixteen years. So you're coming into a place that's you know been ran a certain way for a long time in a community that's an older community, a small town, right. um, uh, but a, a large parish. And then you're you're basically we run into everything that 2020 has had to offer for us. Right. What if what's that been like? You know, like I mean, knowing not knowing what you're going to face in the first place and then running the, all that head on like how's it been well it's it's been a challenge yeah. and it's something that i've accepted head on you know it's uh you know a lot of folks saying man you can't believe that you went out actually you know knocked on doors wanting this position at this particular time right you know? but i think that everybody's still campaigning during during covid well it was in the, the end of it right yeah. you know the election was october 2019 that's when we won and then actually the covid didn't start really till like the march february right okay okay, so okay. We, we'd already got in there okay but, but you're so, still having to you know face these things and get ready to take office during the entire shift of something oh, that absolutely nobody in the history of you know anything has had to deal with yeah, yeah. and i kind of i kind of mess with our, our old sheriff uh, gary sexton very good friend of mine a super good guy i mean we he, he ran a good department we're trying to make to just make it better right of course. on what he had already yeah. done and I, I messed with him you know after uh, the election and, and all this kind of started coming up i said man this is a you know, new sheriff coming into town, and I've got uh, the COVID got going on. We've got some civil unrest, you know, yeah. happening all over. We've got, uh, you know, tornadoes, bad storms, hurricanes, yeah. hurricanes that we've got. I said, man, if door cheek turns red, I'm, I'm going into ministry and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's just it's one of those things. Yeah. But uh, you know, we we you've got to be able to adapt. Yeah. yeah, especially as sheriff. I mean, people look up to you and, and say you need some leadership and some guidance on directions to go with certain things. And well, certainly with the COVID issue that we have going on, we encourage everybody to to be as safe as they can. Mm -hmm. and, and we try to help out with the deputies to try to uh, get them to you know show a leadership role as far as wearing their mask in public and so forth. And we've kind of had to adjust our ways that we do stuff out there. You know, when we respond to a call if at all possible right. we try to get the, the the people to come outside if we can right. keep from going inside the house now sometimes we have to go in there i mean it's, if it's a domestic and going on then we have to go in there and we have to you know make sure everybody's safe mm -hmm. but if it's something a dog call or something yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. not really that's uh, that uh, serious then we get them to come outside we maintain social distance and take our report okay well so a lot of people may not know this and i definitely don't so what's the difference in how departments ran and so we're in louisiana the state of louisiana so we're the only state in the uh, united states that still has a basically parishes and still instead of counties but i'm assuming that it's the same way as far as sheriff's office versus city um, how is that? How's that work? So you, you, you're basically you have multiple towns or cities within your jurisdiction, right? Um, but how do you guys operate as a sheriff's deputy versus you know the city police within those in that parish or county? Well, mainly like Menden, Menden PD and you got Spring Hill PD. That's right. the that's the two biggest cities in our parish. You okay. know, they they have their own departments and so forth, and they handle their own business uh, unless they call on us to ask them for ask us for assistance on okay. certain things. Uh, mainly what we deal deal with in as the sheriff's office out in the rural parish. Gotcha. Out in the country, Sarepta and, and Chandalu area, Hedlund, mm -hmm. Doubly, all that. Uh, Doyle Lane, we take care of, of all those. Uh, you know, and some of those city PDs, uh, like you have a, a Doyle Lane police chief down in Doyle Lane, Robbie right. Hayden, and he's got a guy or two that works for him, and so does uh, Sibley um, PD. You know, each, okay. each town has their own PD, but mainly, you know, uh, 
they help out when they can, but we take care of them. Well, so the differences in operations are, I mean, they're so basically the same. They're, you're just over, you basically handle all the rural areas, and if they need something right. they, for, for the in-between, you can help them out. Now, how's it been like working into, you know, going to the sheriff's department and running that type of department versus being on highway patrol for so many years? What's the what's the shift in the interaction? Because I'm assuming that now you're working with more people with less conflict face-to-face -face than whenever, usually if you're dealing with the traffic stop, there's always a heightened sense of, you know, right. could be could go either way. And I, I think that, that law enforcement uh, today, there, there's more, there's more to law enforcement than putting handcuffs on folks. Of course. I mean, there, there's a time to educate you know, right. people out there and in communication with the, with the people um, that, are, that, you're, that you're serving and also communication with the other law enforcement agencies within your district. You keep that open, you know, that door open for communication and, you know, there's no, no end in sight that what you can accomplish as far as trying to maintain and set the same goal. Yeah. But have you seen difference in working that that type of police work versus this? I mean, well, yeah, what I are mean, the positive and negatives? You know? Well, with the state police, you know, you, you have the, the criminal interdiction. We worked on the interstate. You know, I was in, in narcotics for a long period of time. Right. Uh, and then going to the sheriff's office, you know, you're dealing with more uh, domestics and you were dealing right. with more, um, you know, civil, you know, crimes and property crimes and thefts and burglaries. You know, I mean, it's completely different. Right. And as sheriff, um, you know, it's my job is mainly has been for the last five months just being a problem solver. And right. People come to me for answers. They need to talk to me, and that's one thing that I've I've said from the beginning. I'm, I'm my door is always open. I'm gonna be as transparent as I can yeah. with citizens, and I think that's very important for them to know that they can come and talk to me at any time. And they take they they come. You know, but, they, I mean that's good. You're going into office, you know, this early and already having the trust of your community and able to come talk to you. I mean that's that says something. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of times, you know, that uh, that I can help folks. Um, and there's sometimes that I can't, but at least yeah. I can guide them in the right direction. Right. And uh, you know they. There's a lot of uh, you know people say, hey, you can um, you can give that opportunity to somebody. Well, but a lot of times they want to come talk with the sheriff, mm -hmm. uh, and that's just the way it is. And uh, and I've I've been blessed every day. I mean, I, I really have to be able. To, I love my job going in and seeing how can I serve the people today. How can I make a difference and, and make this a better place for everybody. And that's that's really good to hear because we faced with this you know these past few months or you know earlier this year with all the you know all the heightened you know negativity towards police and it's you know it's one of those things where and you know I'm not a police officer but from the outside looking in there's always going to be a bad apple you know what I mean and, and unfortunately in the media and social anything like that they're going to put all the attention on the bad apple and give the good apples all the rest of the good apples no you know no recognition right. and that's you know an issue and like you go back to you know talking about you know working in the community and supporting those people and then you know, I think we, we still have an issue with not enough funding to do more training. Like, I feel like you have, like, so you have psychological, like, you have psychological things that you have to go through, too. Like, going through, I mean, you're more in a positive position now, I'm sure, than you were over years. You say you were in narcotics, but, I mean, what is that? How do you make that mental shift? You know, if you, you, know, you seem to be a great family man. You have two great kids, your wife. You've been married this long. You were in, you know, state trooper that whole time. How do you bring positivity to all the negative stuff you have to deal with every day as far as in that industry? You know, it's uh, the, you mentioned training. I, yeah. I think that, that is a very important deal for me. And uh, I've, I've offered, you know, my deputies out there whatever training that they get. So, you know, say interview and interrogation. So, yeah. You know, mainly that is for, uh, in the past, has been like more for a detective okay. type, investigative right. type deal, you right. know. Well, I'm offering my deputies out on patrol that same education because, uh, you know, that gives them a chance to better themselves. Of course. And that's going to make them a better deputy. And at some point, yeah. maybe they can go into detectives or so forth. So any anything that we can do to make our people better and to better serve our citizens, that's what we'll give them opportunity. And training is, is huge for me. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, the connections that I have, the resources from state police exactly. and the federal yeah. government and you know whatever I'm gonna use everything that I got to bring us all the training that we can and one of the big things that we have is uh, that we need to have is like de-escalation training yeah you know you can roll up on the scene and just by the way that you come out and act exactly can change the whole scenario exactly. on, and that's what I'm trying to instill in my men and my 
Yeah. I think that, you know, you have, like, in rural areas, you, I, I've seen this a lot where you don't get, you may not get enough, they may get more lax and lackadaisical in operations because you're not running into that much conflict. But then when you do, hey, you're not used to running into that thing. So, you know, doing that, you know, regulatory, basically training on a regular basis and then, you know, not having to run into those issues as much, you know, we're not knowing how to respond or being a little rusty on, you know, the, the interaction. Right. And I think, you know, our our bigger departments and bigger metro areas are constantly seeing that thing, you know, that stuff. But then we have, you know, police officers that are, we have a shortage of those, you know, in those areas to where they're, they may be burnt out, you know, or they're taking a negative toll. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you about is like, how do you, I'm all about getting value to everyone listening. Basically, if you know someone wants to get in this industry, or if someone you know wants to be a police officer, or say someone is a police officer and they're battling mental issues of basically negativity all day long, right. and then going home and making that switch back to positive, right. you know, or just in re regular everyday off uh, everyday operations on their off days, you know, how do you make that shift? Like, it man, it just takes a special person to be able to do that. Yeah. It's something that's got to come from you know in your heart right because I mean you just can't you don't do this for the, the money I promise you yeah I've heard yeah. I've heard yeah and it's uh, you know a lot of folks are thinking you know or have mentioned to me you know how are you going to recruit good candidates to come work for you today yeah in the midst of, of everything that's going on yeah. and in the world and they're still coming and yeah. I've got applications stacked up you well, know that's good to hear you know knee high you know people ready and excited want to come to work for law enforcement and, and for the right reasons right. some some maybe not but you have to vet those that's you right. know and that's and that's another thing that you know may have been overlooked in you know other areas in the past year few years of not you know needing so many officers that maybe they're just taking what they can get and then it, you know then having to weed them out and that's probably not a good thing either you know what i mean well my, my biggest deal something i implemented you know july 1st is background investigations right. on all my applicants yeah i mean they, it's a very thorough deal you know we, we do background stuff on them we, we check with past employers yeah. and we check with neighbors you know we, you have to we do what we can to make sure that the, the person that we hire is it's not going to cause us problems to the community or to my department later on or be a liability later on down the road. Right. And, hey, you know, as best the job that we do, uh, eventually, you know, there may be one that slips through the cracks. Yeah, it happens. And this happens. And once we, you know, we have that issue, then I this right. to me take care of it and move on. But, I mean, it's good to hear that y'all are proactive, you know, sure. in doing those things because, you know, I feel like that that's been something that's been voice of concern. And, like I said, I don't want to get on a dark subject, but I also want to talk about those things because yeah. it's directly related to what all we've been through the past year and, you know, also bringing a positive vibe to back to everything because I think that not only training physically but, but mentally because, I mean, you have a lot of, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but you do have a lot of police officers that are overweight and then if they got into escalated situation, what can they do? Right. You know what I mean? And those are things that we, we worry about, you know, not having enough training or, you know, not having, you know, being a psychological situation to where, I mean, a lot of times you don't know what you're thinking, you know, you don't ever know what someone, someone else is thinking. And the same thing when you roll up on someone on traffic style. Right. You know, that's something that, that we thought about implementing later on, you yeah. know, in the next year or so is a, some kind of, uh, you know, health or, or plan or something like that for them to go out and better themselves, maybe once a year or twice a year to go out and pass us, you know, just yeah. a basic Cooper physical fitness, you know, test. Right. And that's not a requirement. It's if right. you want to participate. Yeah. Well, then you get, if you do that, you get uh, a healthier employee. Yep. You get a, a better service to your community and it, it helps on the insurance. Right. So, I mean, it's... You know, there's some advantages to try to get that done, and there's some other departments, sheriff's offices in the state that do that, and we're going to look at those, what their structure that they have, and maybe try to implement something with our department. Well, what are you, um, so what are you implementing and in, in bringing back to, you know, the sheriff's office that you may have done in state trooper operations? Okay. Like, uh, you know, seven years with DEA task force. Yeah. I mean, those resources that we That's, have through the, you know, it, uh, that's my main focus is yeah. to, if you're selling drugs or dealing drugs in Webster Parish, uh, you, it's not going to be a, an easy, you know, thing for you. You're going right. to might need to pack your bags and move to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. so, but for us to be able to accomplish that, we have to, the judicial system, the DA's office, and, and us all have to be on the same page. Because gotcha. it's, you know, we can spend a lot of valuable time and money out there working these cases. 
and uh, you know we could go and arrest five or six you know street dealers uh, and just put them in jail, put something in the paper, and say, "Hey, look what we've done." I'm not that person. Yeah. If I'm gonna do something, I want to make an impact in our community, right? And not waste taxpayers' money by just going and getting those low-level guys. Right. If you're getting to put them in there, they're out in two days. You don't really do anything. Right. You know. But that's exciting to hear because I feel like that a lot of times you have people that are in those positions that you don't have your experience of narcotics and stuff like that, and don't know, may not have the connections, or may not know the proper procedures to, you know, to basically catch that person, right. you know, stop that person, um, you know, things like that, prosecute that, you know, all those things. Like, that's exciting to hear to help, you know, the community as a whole because you, you know, have, especially in a rural area, I feel like drugs are extremely prevalent in those areas. Like, like I said, methamphetamine is one of them in, right. in really small towns, you know, everywhere. And that you're able to actually bring that back to those rural areas because that that's something that speaks volume to you know, a lot of places that may not have, they don't have, they may have been uh, in that apartment for 10 years or maybe they were a deputy in that apartment for 20 years before they made sheriff and they really don't have experience dealing with those things. Right. And they're just doing the same thing that they've been doing over the course of the years trying to do their best, but not having to see, you know, see the bigger picture. You know, we, we haven't put out a press release or anything, but I had my major over CID put us something together. I was kind of interested on what, you know, what our stats were since July the 1st as far as narcotics and stuff. And I think uh, as of uh, the first of the week, I think we had arrested you know, over 50, around 50 uh, narcotics arrests and seized over about $400,000 worth of narcotics off the streets in Webster Affairs just in five months. Yeah. So just give, give us another three that, years and see where we've come. No, up. that's awesome because, man, it's, a, it's making that impact. And, you know, I grew up in that area, so I know, you know, there, there's, a, there's a difference between, you know, recreational use here and there and the right. people to distribute and destroying lives and then creates crime and the people are killing each other right. kids are getting shots moms get you know all kind of issues you run into it's like man you know i would i would i would really think that maybe probably 80 percent of our crime in our parish is drug related i can yeah i can attest to that it, you know in my experience on the other side you know i feel like that theft's going on you know especially this time of year yes. i mean they're, they're yes. trying to to steal you know wherever they can yeah. it's a, it's an opportunity deal for them to try to make a little extra money for to supply their habit it's, yeah. it's a sad situation it really is but you know once we incarcerate them and the ones that uh, out of bdcc we're trying to give them a an opportunity while they're incarcerated to uh, be able to have some kind of uh, fallback have them yeah. education trying to get them something we have the work release program going on which is fantastic not only for the offenders but also for the community because they're not locked up you know 24 7 they're they're able to go out and, and be productive in the community which helps our local businesses out and then you know i would say a large percentage of the time that once they do get out they've got a job waiting on them. yeah you know there's a there's, we have people at fiber bond we have people that you know limits and stuff that are learning a trade whether it be welding or what have you so we're trying to give them opportunity mm -hmm. to, to better themselves to um you know so it's just not a revolving door i mean we've, we've got to break the cycle somehow yeah, because I feel like in every area you run into those issues where <clears throat> arrested in jail for six to eight months to two years, however long it may be, and then right back out doing the same thing. Right. You know, and that, and that does happen. Right? Yeah, I mean, so, but, but but we got to try. Exactly. You know, I think that uh, education and then you know getting some kind of psychological relief, sure. you know, and and that those things aren't talked about enough, right. you know, because everyone has their struggles and they have their outlet, you know, and some of those people just get on those things and that's their outlet and then before you know it it's consumed their life their family's life their parents have spent all their resources trying to help them their kids are suffering from it you know whatever the age group is you know it's the same thing from um, you know middle-aged person to a young person to an all you know it's one of those deals that it's just you know it's sad to see but hopefully we can make a difference in you know moving forward we, we certainly gonna give it 100 percent and try to make a make a difference so well let me ask you this so before when you were on um so you're on state trooper patrol what made you decide to go into narcotics from there it's just something that i you know like i said that first four years i was out there riding tickets i mainly right. worked the, the east side of, of our area which was bienville claiborne or webster i was kind of like a parish okay. guy so this is like the northeast for those of you who don't know this is the northeast part of louisiana basically uh, we're yeah northwest we're northwest corner right but you're working, working the, the east side of that east yeah. side of that, that because uh I think around Arcadia is where it turns into Troop Elf and Monroe gotcha. area over there. So, but I work for the east part of our area, and I don't know. It's just something that um, 
I, I don't know, just uh, maybe seeing some of the effects of the mm -hmm. families that I dealt with while I was on patrol, going to some of those calls and so forth, that pushed me in the direction for the narcotics. And, uh, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go down and uh, work with uh, Border Patrol Customs down nice. okay. uh, down in, uh, you know, on the borders of Mexico and actually saw how all this was coming across. So it opened my mind, man. We worked uh, one day at Falfurious Checkpoint down there, which is a main, you know, corridor for them to bring narcotics in. Right. And we were popped there 15, 20 minutes and they got the first seizure. I mean, it was over 2,000 2, pounds of marijuana that were concealed in uh, cabinets in a tractor trailer. Right. I mean, I have seen narcotics concealed in working car batteries, uh, radiators. That's the next thing I was going to ask you. What, what's the most interesting place you've found a drug hit? And it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> Besides a human. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, you know teddy bears. You know, they, yeah. you know, like Valentine's, big teddy bear sitting on the back seat, and be you know drugs concealed in that. Like I said, working car batteries, radiators. I've got pictures that just blow your mind on some of the concealments that they've had. Uh, tires, spare tires, uh, you know, you name it. If they would put what they, uh, the, the mindset, if they would put that towards something else. Besides, oh, of course, of course. We would have some very, you know, some very good stuff going on. Yeah. Right? But uh, they, they spent a lot of time trying to get that from point A to point B. Right. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot over my years. So have you seen um, over the years, like since when everything, it makes a shift to like people using methamphetamines, then you're dealing with more of a, like operations, people manufacturing stuff versus distribution, or is it still about the same? How, what are those processes? When I first started out in narcotics in the 90s and stuff, you know, uh, they were uh, actually cooking methamphetamine in our area. Okay. You know, you'd have a lot of trailer houses blowing right, up yeah. and all this. I mean, yeah. they were actually cooking their own stuff. But uh, since then, you know, you have the, the Mexican meth, it's, you know, it's almost 98, 99% pure, you know, oh, and, okay. and, and it's as much as you want out there, you know right. what I'm saying, you just got to, so the stuff that they're making, but we don't even hardly see any cooks anymore, if it gotcha. is, it's a little shake and bake stuff that they make on the side, but the, the big operations of the, the labs and stuff like that that we dealt with in the 90s, and uh, we just don't see that anymore, but uh, because once somebody, uh, an addict, a methamphetamine addict, gets addicted to the methamphetamine mm -hmm. that comes from Mexico, it's so pure. What they're, if they try to go make their own batch, gotcha. it's probably, you know, 50, 60% pure. Right. And it's just, it, they don't get the same high. Right. So, you know, there's so much of that out there, though. It's so. Uh, it's unbelievable. Right. I mean, it'll blow your mind. So that's the battle we're facing then, is it getting into the United States, not right. so much at a local level, but a national level, and then right. trying to fight it being distributed into right. local levels. And, you know, it's uh, the issue that we got to now is the, the fentanyl, you know, yeah. that we see. Yes. Um, you know, when I was, this makes me chill, I have chills up down my arm, but uh, one story I'll tell you, before I retired from the state police, you know, I was supervisor over mm -hmm. narcotics with the DEA and, and a lot of our interdiction guys, they would go out there and work. Well, you know, for 24 years, uh, if we seize the package, like a kilo type package, you yeah. know, that's going to mainly be either cocaine or methamphetamine, in my experience. Well, right before I left, you know, DEA was telling us, hey, you need to, you know, y'all use officer safety, the fentanyl issue. Right. About the size of a grain of salt can kill, you know, near you, just a, just a small portion. Yeah. Don't take much. Well, they had, uh, one of the interdiction guys had stopped, and I think he sees like 13, you know, kilos of package, what I would think would be cocaine or methamphetamine. And for all of those years, man, it would take, I would get my pocket knife, coke, and one of those packages, and we had field test kits, and we test and say, okay, this is cocaine, you know, heroin, or right. one of the, you know, it was, it was pretty easy, but for whatever reason, that day, I did not cut open any of those packages. I said, let's just send it to the crime Luckily. Line. And come to find out, it was it was all fentanyl. If, if we would cut that package open at the truth and expose all those people, there's no telling how many I may not even be here. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's, uh, and the fentanyl, they're using that to try to lace their stuff, you know, they, right. they'll add that to whatever they're doing because it's, uh, 
from what I've been told, it's it's kind of something that they would use for you know if you were going to be put to sleep or something during the surgery. I mean, right, it's, it's strong. It's very strong. <laughs> it does not. I mean, I've, I don't. I'm not very well educated on that, but I have been hearing it past like people talk about it being an issue now. Right. I didn't realize that it was that potent thing. You know, but for the, the drug dealers that are out there selling that stuff or, or lacing it with whatever they're selling, whether yeah. it be, um, you know, methamphetamine or the cocaine, uh, for them, if they if they lace a little bit too much of it, they do that intentionally sometimes because to the addict on the street, if they wind up taking some of that stuff, it may kill somebody. Right. But to them, the addict, they say, man, that's the good stuff. That's what we want to go. Gotcha. Okay. And that's... So that's just something to heighten their product a little bit. Exactly. To, to, yeah, to just give them a man. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're if you have that much flooding in here, then they're using that to add on, you know, add on top of that to try to make it, you know, something that's right. even stronger right. and make it more of an issue. Well, let's get off the drugs. Let's, go back. let's get back to some other stuff. Yeah. I do want to talk about that, man. Though, um, um, so tell me this: going through operations uh, over the past few years, like what is your what's your escape? What do you do? Do you work out? Do you go hang out outdoors? You hang out with the family? Like what what do you like to do on your off time? Not doing you know serving the community or you know dealing with you know issues that may arise. Man, I love being out in the in the, in the woods. I like hunting and fishing, and you know spending time with my family and. Uh, I do stay a lot of time, as much time as I can in the gym. Gotcha. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving holidays, I think I put on 15 pounds. <laughs> I think everybody's like going to kill me a little bit too much apple pie, but everything else is, is, is good. But that's that's my relief, man. It, uh, if me and my wife can go to the gym together and work out and, and spend some time in there, uh, right. I kind of. If my phone don't ring for the you uh, know, yeah, for, about, for an hour and a half, yeah. I'm doing good. So. Well, so doing this now, I guess you know, doing being a state trooper, you had what you're on certain schedules or whatever. But being a sheriff, you're on call 24 seven. Basically, it's 24 seven full time job. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can get at the office seven seven thirty in the morning, leave you know four thirty five, and then I average five to six phone calls in the evening when I get home. Yeah, um, you know, there's. Anytime that something specific happens or, you know, in the parish, I'm, I'm going to go to it and try to be there if I can. How's it been um, adjusting, making the shifts, and then having employees? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I went from serving or, or supervising, you know, right. four to five to six guys to 147 employees. Right. Uh, and, you know, dealing with personnel and stuff, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a learning experience. But, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, something that I uh, look forward to doing and making it better later on. I think that, you know, I, I have a business and dealing with employees is always interesting, but I feel like that a lot of people that, you know, and it's not the same as a police office, but, you know, people don't, they treat their, treat their employees like, you know, basically like employees and not like a part of the team. Right. And then it affects morale and then you build up, you know, resentment and there's all these things. And a learning curve for me is like realizing that, okay, I don't want to be in a position like I was coming up through the reins. Where um, I'm not, you know, where I'm being looked down on, or I'm having to be used to do this or used to do that. I want it to be like a, a whole experience for everyone. Hey, come to me yeah. if you got an issue. You know what I mean? You know, uh, moving forward. And I tell my employees, I mean, you know, that my door is always open. You know, certainly if, if it's uh, something related that, that needs to go through your chain of command, right? Do that. Of course. If you're having a personal problem, or something, you come talk to me, and, and I'm on the list, and if I can help you, I can. And it's. From when I was with Vernon Sheriff's Office, the state police, DEA, it's always been a family environment. I yeah. mean, we, we've always, now we butted heads, you know, here and there. I mean, that's just going to happen. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. And, you know, we may not always agree on something, but, you know, we're, we're going, we're focused on the same, uh, you know, object and going after that. But that's really, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, with the Sheriff's Office. Right. Just make, it's a family environment. And I've always told my guys, if your family can't trust you, I can't. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a, the, trying to, the mindset I'm trying to get. No, that's good to and hear. Giving them an opportunity to to do stuff that, that maybe not have been there in the past. Right. I mean, you know, now when we put up a, uh, instead of maybe just selecting somebody for this position or whatever, or for the academy here recently, I put an open deal. I said, anybody wants to, you know, to try to go to the state or the uh academy you know to to get both certified well, gotcha. I, I got prison for bdcc you know and i think we had you know eight or nine tryout and only you know three of them made it past this this but at least they had an opportunity yeah. to go out there and say hey i i had a chance right 
Yeah, I mean, because a lot of times you get stuck in a situation, you know, you, you know, the department may be so overwhelmed, or you know, that's not a main focus of the right. the goal, and you're you you're not, you know, instilling growth in those people, right. you know, and it's just I feel like I respect, you know, the. I respect police officers, I respect first responders, and there's so much negativity out there, but what people don't understand is all the bad stuff you have to deal with every single day. You know, like, and still being, like, you're so, that's why I wanted to have you on, because you're so positive, you seem to be so supportive of the community, but having to deal with bad stuff every single day, and still being able to overcome those things and look at the bigger picture. Right. You know? It's, uh, you know, a lot of those people out there see more evil in, in one shift than a lot of people see their entire life. life. Yes. And, and you have those people out there judging those people, you know, or, or looking down on them or, you know, whatever it might be. Oh, man, they're just tr try out there trying to get us. You know, they're trying to get us. They're trying to pull me over for speed. You know, they're trying to get me for drugs, you know, whatever it may be. But it's like you're here to help everyone, you know. You know, and it's something that we uh, I've tried to push out to my patrol guys is is just the visibility out there in the rural community yeah. is is a big deal for me. And uh, uh, letting them, if I tell them, if you drive by somebody's house and they're out mowing the grass or they're on their on their you know carport or whatever on the porch drinking coffee, stop and visit with them. Ask yeah. them, ask them, hey, what kind of issues you have and everything going good. Community policing is, is huge for me, and that's what I'm gonna push as long as I'm sure. Right. Well, I mean, that's good to hear, too, because, I mean, I feel like that if you're always, if you're only seen to show up when there's an issue, then there's can possibly be negative, you know, vibes associated to that, which and then, you know, everyone's looking at, at it that way. And it's like there's always a negativity associated to that industry, and it just, it sucks. But, but it, you know, you're also there dealing with idiots every day and then dealing with people who are just having problems, you know, right. and trying to resolve the issues and make the whole thing work. Right. I think that, I mean, I respect you guys for that, you know, and not, not only that, man, we need, we need more funding for pay, we need more funding for training, yeah. you know, we need more funding for psych, psychological issues, right. you know, vetting those people, taking care of them if they're having issues. I think that, you know, the same thing with the military, like we have those issues, you know, where people deal with all that, all that stress and then try to, you know, adapt to a normal life yeah where people don't have any stress they think that someone messed their damn coffee up at starbucks and then <laughs> their day's over you know what i mean like are you kidding me it's uh you know if we if we do have something that happens substantial out you know that uh, you know, like if that somebody needs one of my deputies needs counseling or something like right. that we're going to provide them with whatever because we had that with state police or whatever and that's good to hear because a lot of people don't do that you know yeah. um they're just focused on you know the day-to-day -day little operations and not you know not the big picture right i think that you know one of those things that one of those things we forget about is what all you know you guys do for us you know and not so much just like i said just associating with i hope you don't pull me over because i'm running three three miles over the speed limit or you know, i'm trying to hurry up and get to work or running late you know well, i'll tell you one of my, my main focuses is our kids you know that's our future yeah and uh when I came, retired from state police, came to work for the sheriff, uh, Gary Sexton, he put me on as a school resource officer. And probably for those eight, nine, ten months, that's probably the most rewarding eight, nine, ten months of my career. Yeah. Because a lot of those kids in those schools, man, they, they don't have the guidance they need at all. Right. And uh, they, they, they need to see law enforcement in uniform as a positive. Right. And not as a negative. If, right, I agree. If, if something's going on, uh, we need to try to build a relationship with them where they feel comfortable to approach us and ask us for something. Right, because if they're growing up in a, um, in a bad situation at home and they may see someone in uniform as a, you know, threat, right. not as someone who's there to help, right. you know, which makes a huge issue, you know, and it creates something that, you know, could lead into whatever else later on. You know, if I had a, a dime for every time I've been in Walmart or a restaurant or a public place and, you know, got a mom or a dad with a small kid and they said, there's a police officer, he's going to take you to jail. Oh, man, I remember that. Yeah. I remember that growing up. My mom yeah. would be like, I'm going to get that guy to take you. I'm like, you can't do that, man. You can't tell kids that, like, because they think they're out to get you. Yeah. I mean, I know it's like one of those old yeah. old school, you know, tactics of, hey, behave. I'm going to get him on you. You're not listening to me, but that's not yeah. that's not the way to go about it. You know? Yeah, they, they need to see us in, as, a, as a positive light, or, you know, because, uh, a lot of times, you know, police are called uh, to the homes to, to, to help with domestic issues yeah. or what have you, and, and they, we just need to have those uh, kids looking at us and, and saying, hey, this is somebody that we can depend on, that we can go to, and not, and that's how we're going to build up the next generation of law enforcement, yeah. is through I agree. what they see us doing today. I agree. I think that, you know, it, 
society as a whole. You know, we need to be focused on more of correcting issues, coming together and helping each other, not attacking each other. There's no accountability in, you know, in under media and social and all that, where people are constantly bad-mouthing people, but they're not getting, you know, they're not having to stand behind their words. Like, before you had that, you didn't have that technology where if someone was talking shit on someone, you handled, you know, you took care of it, you talked it out, whatever. If you had a difference of opinion, we had a conversation. You didn't just bad mouth and then move on, you know. Like, I think that we got to work to, you know, commonality there and help each other out and try to resolve all these issues, not just in your industry, but throughout, you know, government, politics, and, you know, whatever whatever it may be, you know. Um, well, we got a little bit more time real quick before we wrap up. So what is your stance on um, firearms? That's something that gets talked about, talked about a lot, like, you know, um, where are you at on that and you know how that how the operations of, of you know where we're at having a firearm and using those things uh, responsibly and training behind that and what are your you know everybody has a right to you know arm themselves whatever and that's second amendment whatever yes. we need to make sure that we you know have that uh, i encourage everybody that i can to go through a concealed carry you know and get a concealed carry permit through the state or whatever yeah and it's not only to i mean that's the right way to do right it. Uh, because you know you get training. Yeah. You don't want somebody out there with a gun that you know really that on their hip exposed because they can do it. Right. I, I think that's more of a target than it is a resolution. Right. And yeah. it's their right. You know. Yeah. I know no. that I, I just try to encourage everybody to have that concealed carry. You know, course because you get good education. You know the laws and uh, you have some training. and You actually have to shoot in front of a. You know to be able to to be able to just to, to handle a weapon is yeah. one thing. You know so. Uh, but uh, certainly these days and times, man, I, I think that everybody is, has a right to, to bear arms and, and, and have that on them and defend themselves. Yeah. I think that we're, you know, we're in a, another, you know, part in time to where we're running those things to where if you're not in the situation of if you don't know how to and you have that weapon, you're more of a danger to everyone around you versus knowing how to, having that, respecting that, right. and then be able to make the right decision. Right. You know, I think that's one of those things that we're all, we face on a day, I'm sure you guys run to it every single day. Yeah. You know, so. you know and I, I would say a large percentage of the law enforcement out there today, you know, if you get stopped on a traffic stop, you know, they, they're not concerned if you've got a weapon. They just need to know that you've got a weapon. Yeah, of course, course. Right? of course. And I, and I tell people all the time, just let that law, that law officer know that, hey, I've got this. Right. right. And that just takes away the, uh, right. the scare factor of everything, and normally everything's fine. That's good. Well, so before we end this thing, I want to do it on a positive note. Yeah. Um, what? Tell me one of the, uh, if you got real quick time for a, a story of maybe of your past few years of, you know, working through, you know, State Trooper or into this new uh, new office that you're in now. Um, what's some of the most, I guess, a good story of one of the most positive, rewarding things you may have ran into that maybe that stands out to you think about all the time? You know, and I, I just mentioned it with the, with the kids, with the kids, man, yeah. the, the school resource officer and being, you know, and since uh, taking the office in July, I've added uh, three extra school resource officers for yeah. the parish, added an extra dare officer, full, two full-time dare officers, because right. I believe that just uh, getting out there and, and educating the kids and, and setting a positive for them right. through the department is, is probably the most positive thing that I can see coming in the future. I think that, you know, we we view those people that, like, growing up, we didn't think that was cool, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But if you look at it now as an adult and, you know, as a citizen, that's something that's really important that sure. you don't even think about, you right. know? Like, Taking care of our kids and our elderly, uh, you know, the senior citizens yeah. in our parish, uh, you know, we've, we've made contact with the Council on Aging in, in Minden and up in Spring Hill, and we're going to try to coordinate something where, say, if we have a, a senior citizen that may, their closest family may be Dallas, Texas. Yeah. You know, and they're not getting checked on and so forth. Right. We're going to identify those seniors in our parish and have somebody, a deputy, calling and checking on them. And that is an issue. Yes. You know, that is an issue. We have a lot of people that are older that, you know, run into, especially with this, what we're going through now, but like run into a health issue and may not have made a fallen and can't contact someone or maybe sick and yeah that i mean that's extremely important that's another thing i hadn't thought about that's yeah i mean i'm sure it's something that it's something else positive that we got coming up in the parish uh you know i don't know if you've ever read the paper here last week or something but we had the police jury meeting and i announced that we're going to have an animal i'm going to present an animal control officer for our parish okay the need for an animal control officer 
uh, is, uh, is, is a big deal because, you know, we're constantly having the dog issues and we have a parish ordinance where... Oh, we have like, I, I'm, I'm just not aware, you have like dog dog attack issues? Or, yeah, okay. or they're coming on other people's property. And, and people and, are, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and, and, you know, man, I'm a dog lover. Yeah, I me too. Myself yeah. And, and I'm, I've been, I've had dogs all my life. But if, uh, you know, if you've got a dog, you, you've got to be able to either, you know, keep it on your property somehow. Yeah, responsible for it. Be responsible <laughs> for it. But, you know, I've got one uh, resident there in, in the Menden area, you know, him and his wife are scared to go out on their own, in their own, you know, front yard. Right. You know, because they yeah, have that message. Yeah. You know, and it's just, they shouldn't feel like that. Right. So, uh, with this animal control officer that uh, we're going to be able to try to, you know, have some enforcement action type of stuff and maybe, you know, educate folks on what yeah. they need to do. Also, uh, here in the near future, we're working on getting some, some safety areas like at the sheriff's office and on the north end and the south end of the parish where... You know the the trading stuff or the buying stuff online these days. Right. We'll have a safe Those location. Are important. We'll have a safe yeah. location for residents of Webster Parish to come. It'll be 24-hour surveillance. Or you know, if in a family matter or a civil matter with a child custody, that's yeah. a good place for good him to, to, yeah, to, to you know, trade yeah. off. And yeah, that's, right. that, that, that's something that's extremely important too. Yeah. So you guys are making some moves over there. That's okay. good to hear because you have like. I know larger departments are doing those things, but you don't see that in the rural towns as much. You know, with the education, I feel like we touched on a lot of that. You know, the education, the training, yeah. for, you know, providing more opportunity for the community. Um, you know, that's, those things are really important where people can feel safe right. in the transaction, you know, behind, you know, and you guys are behind them. You know, right. that's, that's something that's really important. Well, before we close this thing out, um, anything that you want to mention that we may have not talked about, um, anything that you want to, any advice you may want to give to people who are just maybe everyday listeners or they may be in law enforcement or they may be looking to get in law enforcement, do you have any advice for them? You know, if, you, if you're if you thinking back one day about, you know, going into law enforcement, you know, try to get your education first. You know, i got a lot of, of young guys that are just getting out of high school. They right. want to come get that, uh, you know, get that sworn in, get that badge and right. go straight to the road. Well, there's, you got to, you know, you got their steps that you need to take to be able to progress to go to be able to do. You got to learn how to interact. With that's, 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 <laughs> you can't do that going straight from high school. There's no way. Yeah, and it's uh, you know I've done it, and so you need to get that education, right? And then you need to put your application in, and normally you know you'll you'll have to go to like a. Corrections Institute because if right. you can't deal with those folks in there, I always wonder why they that, that was the process. And you'll you'll learn from them and yeah. interacting with them and knowing this stuff, and then and then that point, then you know we'll have a chance to maybe go the road. But education and just learning as much and being open minded. I mean, you can't yeah. go in there saying you know this is what I want to do. You know, you got to be open minded and being able to just communicate communicate with folks and listen is a is a big deal in law enforcement. I agree. I mean. Sounds good to me. Well, man, you, got, I, you got me sold. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Like I said, we're only five months in, but I'm excited about the next, the future, next three years. Um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, a long time serving the people of Webster Parish because, like I said, I'm 47. I, I've, I've got a lot to, to give here in the yeah, next few years. You got a lot of time left. That's right. To do do more stuff and take all your experience and you know the training and the knowledge you have and hopefully spread it throughout the community, your yeah, deputies. That's right. You know, and then hopefully people that are listening to this today are getting a little bit of piece of something, you know, they can run home with and use, you know, whether it be being more aware of these issues, you know, or resolving them or, you know, hopefully maybe even taking it to their department. You know, it's you know, we talk about me, 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 but you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself course. with. You know, I've got an outstanding chief deputy in Haynes and, you know, Major Krause and, and Major Hayden and, and Major Ren. I mean, all those folks that surround we all make up that that administration with the sheriff's office that's gonna make the citizens of Webster proud. Yeah. Well, sounds good to me, man. We're going to end it on that, man. Thanks for everybody for um, listening, and please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Thanks, bud.